I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the program. My name is Noel. Yes, Noel the Madman Brown. My name is Ben. You are hopefully still yourself. Just be yourself. That's an amazing thing. Uh, and we are back. Our uh, compatriot, our uh, our comrade, our uh, our buddy, our buddy, our, our fellow podcast revolutionary slash conspiracy realist, Matt Frederick, remains. On a uh, secret mission as we record this. However, if you listened to our episode the previous week, wherein we, we delved into the, uh, the realm of alchemy, then you know that we have a returning, uh, special guest with us. Uh, this is a friend of ours, friend of the show who writes extensively about religious studies, I would say, philosophy, the history of philosophy, the future of philosophy. Hopefully. Yeah, consciousness uh, and uh, technology and the occult. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome back to the show Damian Patrick Williams. Very happy to be back with you guys. It's almost like we were just here a few minutes ago. And then we just came back in the room. Yeah. What is time? What is space? What is a shout-out corner? Shout out corners. 
Well, Ben, a shout out corner is a segment of the stuff they don't want you to know audio podcast, wherein we shout out to uh, various listeners that write in and request said shout out. And, you know, sometimes we just pull them off the cuff. We pull people off Facebook that deserve a nice uh, word because of their clever interactions. And, um, you know, but a lot of times people have really been enjoying it. So they've been writing in and asking for them. So mm-hmm. what you got? Uh, so what we have today, uh, this is a this is a good one, uh, you guys. Justin Cruz, a.k.a. The Cruz, a.k.a. Jay Krizzle, XCOM. Could it be real? Just played the Bureau, XCOM Declassified, XCOM 2. On Twitch, uh, shout out to you, Justin Cruz, aka the Cruz, aka Jay Crizzle, aka Cruz Missile. <laughs> oh, oh, nice! Somebody just got a new nickname. Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a game that Nolan and I have played before, where we say someone's name but just aka and keep adding nicknames. Nice. It's it's fun until you're more than three drinks in. <laughs> And then it gets really weird. Sometimes they were just sentences. I'd be like, <laughs> AKA, once upon a time in the 1840s, uh, at which point, Noel, you, uh, you wisely, um, told me you get some water. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I just changed the subject. <laughs> just changed the subject. That's true. Maybe have, a, maybe have some bread. Yeah. yeah, right. Oh, that's the worst part of a bar where someone just says, can I, can I just have some bread? I know there's a menu, but may I just have two slices of bread? Two slices of bread, please. Uh, yeah. Our next shout out, uh, comes to us from, uh, old friend, uh, of the show and a mini shows here at House of Works, Aaron Cooper, uh, who says, fun fact, if you say coop three times, I will magically appear a la Beetlejuice. Maybe. I don't know. Worth a try. Hashtag shout out corner. Hashtag coop, coop, coop. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> oh, Probably got to be a mirror, and this is just a piece of glass. Maybe it's like alchemy. Maybe we just didn't do the ritual correctly. Yeah. I, you you might have said it just a little bit too fast. We or, need like a wand of ash or something. Yeah, or like some things that, that Coop likes mm-hmm. in the middle of the table with us. Uh-huh. And walk Wittershins under a, a moonless night. Uh All Maybe right. Just text. <laughs> That's true. Uh, okay, our final shout out for today, uh, Troy, uh, Luchterhand, uh, I hope I am pronouncing your name correctly, but I fear I am not, uh, says, I'd like a shout out too. I'm cool. And then, uh, sent us a, sent us a gif of Hey Mitch from Hunger Games approving of something. Well, Troy, we think you're cool. Thanks for listening to the show. And that is our shout out corner. So today we're going to go a little bit outside the norm um, of our show in that we're going to have a particularly free-ranging conversation about a topic that is fascinating to all three of us for sure and that Damien has a bit of a background in, um, which is technology and its intersection with the occult. So, I mean, I wasn't even really aware of this as a, as an idea. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, and there's so many ways that you can kind of mash those two concepts together. But, Damien, if you could, can you give us just a little bit of a background on what this is and, and where, how you came to it? Mailer Damons. No, not, not really. <laughs> but that was worth it. That's though. something, that's, that's definitely something you should be thinking about. Um, no, um, 
my background with this comes from a long-standing investigation into the nature of consciousness, the nature of knowledge uh, from a philosophical perspective. I did my uh, my master's thesis on philosophy and the occult and ritual theory and the history of magic and the history of what it is we mean when we say we know something um, and how that's changed mm-hmm. a great, great deal over the course of our you know human history. Um, and in a really weird kind of strange sense, um, you can actually trace this back to comics. Cartoons, mm-hmm. gargoyles. Actually, you remember the show Gargoyles? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, David Xanatos, <laughs> the uh, the person who would make use of super science and magic mm-hmm. to make new weird super science magic. Mm-hmm. That was like an aspirational ideal of mine as a child. So um, it's fun to say and it's cute, but it's also vaguely true. Um, <laughs> so I got to start thinking about these things at an early age. Um, what we mentioned last week about this point at which science and magic became kind of antagonistic to each other, right? And where they started to see each other not as the same process, the same pursuit as they used to be uh, seen during the times of the ancient Greeks and other non-Western cultures, mm-hmm. um, as they even still are today in many non-Western cultures. But in the West, there's this certain moment where they diverge. And I got to thinking about why that was, why we've gotten to this point where magic and science are so deeply antagonistic towards each other. Um, why, when we talk about magic in the West, we're using it most often um, as a kind of a foil character. We're mm-hmm. using it as something to, to make science look good, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's not magic. Um is usually how we talk about it, or we talk about something being like magic, or we talk about it's it's just as easy as waving a wand or a mm-hmm. silver bullet or mm-hmm. you know any number of like things like that, these kind of magical metaphors. Um but there's this point, there had to be this point where these things overlapped, where they were the same processes. And that's what I'm interested in. It's almost something we touched on at the end of the alchemy episode where we talked about, you know, the future of alchemy and how um, so many of these processes that when they were conceived at the time largely involved mysticism and, and magic and you know transmutation sure. but now there's this um, these modern processes yes. that essentially achieve the results that they were sought after but you know with modern technology yes. and I think the interesting place is where those two things meet um, whether it's a hybrid of the two or whether it's like sort of one coming as a result of the other. I don't know yeah. if that makes any well, sense. Yeah, let's start with, let's just start with some, the, the most basic definitions so that we can, we can build our understanding off of this because there's a few things here that I'm oddly thrilled to talk about, <laughs> even though I know we probably won't get to everything. Well, actually, we certainly won't get to everything that the three of us want to explore today. But what we will hopefully do, listeners, is pose some questions. Yes. And even more importantly, uh, we would like for you to write to us with your questions. Uh, you can find, uh, you know, if they just pop up 
for you as you're listening to this. Uh, you can find Noel and I on Twitter at Conspiracy Stuff, and you can find Damien at Wolven, W-O-L-V-E-N. So if something pops up while you're, while you're listening to this, uh, then use technology to communicate with us instantly. Send us a message, uh, the same way, you know, it's essentially clairvoyance at this point. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's actually something that somebody was bringing up with me in conversation that via technology that we have it as recent as this year, we've basically achieved our dream of being able to telepathically communicate with each other. Right. <laughs> and uh we don't know if that's a nightmare yet. Right. It's it, sort of like how 4chan is such an argument against direct democracy. Right. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, that's what that looks like. <laughs> so so at the most basic definition, when we say the occult and technology, let's define occult, let's define technology. Human beings are the great artificers of this planet so far so far so far and that might we'll we'll talk about that part too because some of this is going to get kind of dark yeah in this episode unfortunately unfortunately so technology is just a collection of skills of methods techniques i guess uh used to create something a good a result a a result Mm -hmm. is even you know what that's an even better way to say it so a lot of in almost anything could be in, in this regard, uh, finding a better way to position a roll of toilet paper. Remember, there was a big fight on the Internet about that. <laughs> yeah. That is a kind of technology. Right. And so it, technology doesn't always mean just a, a computer or a lever. lever. Uh, also, and I know this is going to be this. This is going to be one uh, that you might want to tackle, Damien. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition of occult yes um <laughs> the occult in many ways came about as uh a way to simply talk about the unknown um i mean the word itself occult means to hide mm-hmm. um it, you know, when something is occulted it is hidden it is blocked from view we, we use that word when we talk about uh, astronom- uh, astronomical bodies, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about the nature of the movement of the moon and the sun and the earth during an eclipse, you know, mm-hmm. full occultations. Um, but we mean it in this sense to talk about knowledge that's hidden, mm-hmm. uh, technologies that are hidden, processes that are hidden, um, that aren't known and widely available. One of the most, uh, common hermetic philosophical, hermetic, magical uh, phrases or mottos. And uh, it's kind of, again, kind of arcs back to what we were talking about last week, hmm. but is uh, to know and keep silent. Ah, yes. Yes. To know and keep silent. No, uh, no spoilers would no. be another, yeah, exactly. <laughs> another exactly. part of it. No spoilers. Right. You'll and get there. <laughs> you'll get there and you have to get there yourself. So um, Noel and Matt and Damien and I, we're talking uh, a, a number of weeks ago about what we would cover when we went on the show, and we knew that we wanted to do an episode on alchemy, but in our conversation, we started stumbling uh, onto these amazing, weird things. Uh, one, one of the big ones that stuck out to us was that in the modern age, right, for mm-hmm. everybody listening, the entire time you've been alive, yes. uh, most of the world has 
has treated uh, reports of the supernatural, whether those would be uh, extrasensory powers like telepathy, right. whether that would be returning from the dead, whether that would be predicting the future, uh, whether that would be godlike entities. Uh, we've treated these largely as um, an interesting result of a society at the time. Right. It, rather than an actual thing. But now we advanced you and uh, we'll, we'll do this part earlier in the show so we can get right to the, the juicy stuff. Here's where it gets crazy. And I'm going to steal a line for Fox News here, guys. Now more than ever, we are closer to those things becoming real and some already have. Uh, the, the argument about telepathy, we, we talked about, um, we talked about divination. Yes. Right? Yes. So, um, so divination being able to usually use to tell the future. Right. Right. Being able to, to figure out something about the world. It's usually, as you said, something about the future by kind of, uh, taking many disparate symbols or mm-hmm. signs you can read and kind of putting them into context and then figuring something out about them. One of the first kinds of, div- of divination was augury. Uh, following the flight paths of birds, um, divination via entrails. Um, the, the, when you cut open an animal, the specific right. arrangement of their innards can tell you things. And then if you look at the texture and constitution of their innards, you can mm-hmm. learn different things. And like you can scry with a mirror or with, uh, any reflective surface. Um, and different surfaces can, you know, are supposed to be able to give you different types of information. And then there's, um, cartomancy, cards, tarot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got phonomancy using music to, mm-hmm. you know, divine something either about the future, what's about to happen or what's happening right now. Things you should pay attention to. Right. Yeah. I love that you said just not necessarily in the future all the time, but this still exists today uh, in what, at least in, in the West, well, practices of some sort of divination do exist. The weird thing is that some of those did have a scientific basis. You know, the following the flight path of birds may not tell you, um, if you are going to meet your true love, but, but it will tell you quite possibly something about the weather. Right. It will tell you quite possibly something about food sources. Right. So that one of those is the future. The other is the present that would have otherwise been occulted. Uh, so here's the thing though, even though we look at this now, we, we permit the, um, palmistry, right? Yes. We'll go, I, you know, I took a date to, uh, to a, a, a psychic one time. And, uh, I was, I was trying to be cool, but I was so skeptical. I thought, you're not going to cold read me. I'm just going to purposely throw in clues. So I'd like twitch my left shoulder just yeah. at odd times, see yeah. what would happen. Um, which, you know, you shouldn't troll a psychic. That was, <laughs> it's weird. a little rude. It is so rude. <laughs> I was a different person at the time, but, um, but we permit that stuff, but it's not taken as seriously, at least here in the West, in some countries. Right. Like in Myanmar, Burma, uh, astrology is hugely important to yes. the ruling parties. Yes. So this stuff is still around. But here's another thing uh, that that's changing that we started talking about with the emergence of correlations of massive amounts of data. Yes. We are now closer and closer and closer to building 
the oracles that used to be legends. Yes. Right. So exactly. We, let, let's talk a little bit about that. So, yes, I like this was this was one of my like one of the major things that we talked about that was just really really cool to me. Um, I love. I'm a big fan of Carl Jung. So mm-hmm. when I when I look at the the ways to think about you know the ways out there that are available to think about religion and magical practice and you know, mysterious or cult experience, I look at Jung a lot. Um, because he rode this line between being deeply, deeply skeptical of mm-hmm. these things while yeah. being directly immersed in them at the same time. So I kind of, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty big fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jung talks about divination, um, and he talks about the connection between divination and the collective unconscious and, uh, this idea of synchronicity, right? Mm-hmm. These things that are connected, but aren't, they don't cause each other. Like my reading a tarot card doesn't cause something to happen in the world it it's a way for you to look at what's happening in the world it's a way for you to think about what's happening in the world Mm -hmm. both the tarot reading and the the thing that's happening they are caused distally by something else um if i hear a song on the radio that reminds me of you Mm -hmm. and then you call me Mm -hmm. like those things didn't cause each other Right. They are caused distally by something else that they are connected to. They're a ripple of another event. Exactly. So in this way, when Jung talks about tarot, he's not talking about it as like, I'm going to read you the future. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read you this thing that is immutable. And by reading it, it becomes so. He says, rather, what you're doing which you can a way you can think about what you're doing is you can look at it as a psychological tool. You need a you need a unit of distance to be able to see your situation. You're thinking about something. You're trying to understand something. You want to come to to figure out something, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to have something to kind of be an intermediary between you because you're in it. You're too close to it. And if you're too close to it, you can't you can't get perspective on it. So here's some cards. Here's <laughs> here's some music mm-hmm. that you can kind of process it through that you can kind of turn it around and get some symbolic representations with. And then now that you've got this distance, you can kind of try to pull out some meaning, some sense, some different perspectives and get your head around it. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now that we've got big data, and this is something that came up in this um, kind of unconference I went to back in 2014 called Magic Codes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was put together by um, Ingrid Burrington and uh, Casey Golan. And Ingrid Burrington, she does infrastructure work. She does data technologies and networking systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a book called... Uh, uh, hidden networks of New York. And it's about basically seeing networked infrastructure. She wrote this piece for the Atlantic a little while ago about finding the hidden, the occulted infrastructure on which all of our data and all of our information depends. Uh, okay. And so she puts this conference together because while she's thinking about these things, she was thinking about all of the, the connections, these overlaps between uh, coding, technology, magic, all of this. And one of the things that we came up with was this idea of big data divination. The idea that what we are actually doing with big data is we are putting all of this, where you spend your time, how much money you spent at this particular Starbucks, mm-hmm. where your cell phone tower pinged off of your cell phone at this particular point and for how long, what number you call at what periods and intervals for how long do you speak to them? Who do you text in what? Like, and we correlate all of this vast, vast information and we create a picture and we say out of all of this through these algorithms with this correlation, here you are. 
and you are this kind of person, and you will do this kind of thing, and you will be this kind of way. I know this because I read it. I know this because my algorithm showed it to me. I have divined. I have divined it. That's so, you know, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? (laughs) I mean, for the Greeks, I mean, they lasted pretty good with divination and oracles. The the oracle at Delphi worked out pretty great for a couple hundred years there. So maybe we'll be all right. So we just need to teach... The algorithm to huff fumes exactly. from deep in the earth. Hang in a cave, huff some fumes, uh-huh. you know, and tell me, tell me what the lottery numbers are. Exactly. Uh, that's <laughs> that's a like that's a fascinating idea. Noel, what what do you think about this? Here's one of my big questions for this one. Before we move on to something else, should we create something like this? Well, I mean, we don't really have the choice. It's, it's already, it exists already more or less because we're feeding it. You know, I mean, it's like if you look at something like Facebook, for example, that we willingly give our information to that mm-hmm. then makes its way, you know, to Google and our, mm-hmm. we've got search. Basically, our email is mined for search terms that are then fed back to us via Facebook and, you know, targeted ads and things like that. I mean, the algorithms are just going to get better. The machine already exists. It's just not something that we consciously interact with in the sense of what is going to happen. How am I going to behave? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very proprietary thing that's being used, you know, for at the end of the day, very tawdry purposes. I mean, it's just trying to sell us a better pair of shoes or one that we're more likely to buy, right. not even necessarily better. The ones so, that appeal to us. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're targeting us with what we would already be willing to buy. That's what that's, that's the most helpful information. They want to show us the thing that is going to make the sale, you know, not necessarily the thing that's going to make our lives better. So, um, should we take this to the next level <laughs> in a way that, uh, maybe makes this information actually helpful and useful right. why not maybe yeah. i don't know but it does seem to be sort of a potentially uh doomsday device ish proposition if you're in the wrong hands but isn't it already in the wrong hands guys that's you exactly know? what i was about to say actually like that's mm-hmm. precisely the path i was about to start going down which i think is going to connect with the thing that you wanted to talk about next mm-hmm. ben um Look who's making this. We talked about the targeted ads. We talked about the big data. Mm -hmm. The usage of big data on the back end, the divination aspect of big data is generally done for the most part in terms of figuring out the kind of person you are, the kind of thing that you Mm -hmm. like, the kind of thing you will do, right? Mm -hmm. The people that use this, the people that have direct access to this, for the most part, are corporations and governments. Yes. And they are going to, in various ways, work to modify and control your behavior or at the very least predict it. I would say that maybe the, yeah, at the very least predict it, the private entities, the corporations have a higher interest in the person as an individual because the person buys things as an individual. The governments have a higher interest in almost like a a real life version of Asimov's psychohistory, predicting the future, figuring out how people and cultures will behave exactly right so not just individuals but but yes yeah uh, so and in that regard we ask ourselves or we should be asking ourselves okay so we've built this thing that can know us mm-hmm. we've built this thing that we think of as being able to correlate uh, a rough approximation of who we are and what we're likely to be mm-hmm. um noel as you say should we do that that ship has sailed. Um, we've done the thing. We're out in the water. <laughs> we are, we are now out here. The question is, how can we navigate it? Um, I put this point to my students yesterday, actually. Yeah. And I was saying about 
um, we're talking about Google. Hmm. Now, if you say, okay, Google, order me a pizza, you can't really say, okay, Google, order me a pizza yet. The goal, especially with, um, the Amazon Echo, the goal is to be able to say, okay, Alexa, I think is the mm-hmm, name that they give mm-hmm. their, again, female voiced, mm-hmm. as all of them are, uh, artificial intelligence servant. Um, the goal is to have them be able to say, yes, order me a pizza, and then they'll just order you a pizza. It'll, the one that you want. Right. At that moment. Exactly. That's the ultimate goal. I can't say to Google, order me the pizza, you know, the one that I like. <laughs> I can say that to you. If we've been out to pizza before, right, we've had right. pizza several times, you know my preferences. You know mm-hmm. the kind of crust I like. You know the kind of toppings I like. Mm-hmm. But how much it, cheese. And then... Isn't there almost the, uh, the issue that if... <laughs> You know, maybe I'm a bit of a contrarian here, but I feel like if an algorithm started telling me what kind of pizza I wanted, I would start to rebel against that algorithm and say, I don't want that kind of pizza anymore, mm-hmm. algorithm. But you don't tell it, me what I want. But what if it asked you? What if well, it asked you, yeah, hey, Noel, uh, you said, okay, you want a pizza. Do you want it? I mean, do you want the one that you got last time with the olives yeah. and the pepperoni and anchovies? Or I, do guess you want, I just like, personally have no use for this kind of technology because <laughs> I want to be able to say, you know, right now I want this kind of pizza. I am the captain of my yeah, fate. I am the master <laughs> yeah. of my, my destiny. And, uh, yeah, that kind of squeaks me out a little bit, honestly. And, and, and it's a great yeah. example, an interesting way to talk about a much larger concern with something as simple and mm. stupid as a pizza. We'll take it further because what we could explore this, we could go a step further and say maybe the ultimate goal is uh, something I think is very creepy, which is that it can predict the time you think, you know, it'd be good. Pizza, and then and then it can like and, give you it before then, you voice it, right? That and is the says, ultimate goal. Yeah, and it says like it says you know, uh, Noel, Damien, uh, I have a pizza on the way for you. Yeah, you know, the one you like. I'd be like, that's very presumptuous. <laughs> like, like, how dare you? <laughs> so again, no, that would actually probably be my exact response: is how dare you? I would too. And I would, in fact, revolt against it that's in much saying, the same way. Right? You know, I mean, maybe it's spot on. But then I would I would flip a switch and be like, no, no, right, no. I, I'm a I'm a contrary kind of guy too, because I so I would in fact be like at that moment as you presume to know me, and I don't care if you're an AI or a human being or exactly. like a dolphin. I don't care. <laughs> you presume to think you know what I want, even if you're right, especially if you're right. You've ruined it. <laughs> You've ruined it. And I'm pissed. <laughs> like at that point in time, I am angry, and I no longer want that thing anymore. Because it's kind of a that implicit thing, and this is a segue into our our next part. I think that implicit thing is in many ways. A, um, a derision of our ability to be conscious. Right. Which brings us to, because we are talking about AI now, right? That's, that's the secret out of the bag. Yeah. We, that's the, the, what, what do we say last time, Noel? The badger? <laughs> yeah, the badger's in the bag. The badger's in the bag. <laughs> hitting the badger bag with a bat. Yes. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't hit badgers with bats. They get really upset about that. Don't hit badgers with bats. So we had, our previous episode, we had a surprisingly, um, you know, that was actually Google's original tagline before they decided to go with don't be evil. <laughs> don't was, hit badgers with yeah, bats. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that a was a big line. problem when they were coming up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Sergi and Larry. Uh, so w- what 
uh, is going to occur is, is that like many great discoveries, many great inventions occur as the accretion of smaller practical things that made sense at the right. time. Right. So we have something that is an algorithm smart enough to compare past information and learn and extrapolate new information. Right. And as this becomes more sophisticated, what we are seeing is a rise, not in terms of major breakthroughs, but an incremental rise in something approaching yes. a self-aware, non-human, non-organic entity. Right. And that's, I think, that gets back into like where, where we were talking about just before, where currently Google, mm-hmm. Amazon, mm-hmm. Facebook, Microsoft, these are the corporations at present that have publicly known about drives towards machine learning algorithms that approach something like correlative behavior, correlative uh, learning abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Not just learning from one plus one equals two, but learning, well, one plus one equals two. Uh, what about two plus five? And what about Three divided by three. What do I get if I, you know, f- you know, do all of the factorials of a particular prime number? Like all of the, you know, or sorry, a particular non-prime number. Like mm-hmm. all of these things. Like how do I, how, like if we get to that point, if we actually reach that through a corporation mm-hmm. with profit motives. Right. At the heart. Right. We're what, so- what is it learning? Right. What is it learning? <laughs> How is it learning? What what a strange creation myth we are participating in. Right. Can you imagine thousands of years from now the artificial intelligence that um is to is to Homo sapien the way that Homo sapien was to earlier versions of humanity right. reads something approaching a religious text and says, In the beginning there was ad revenue. Right. Right. <laughs> and and- they learned the knowledge of the ad revenue. <laughs> and in the ad revenue, there were interests, and those interests were good. Yeah, like exactly. Like, exactly. And and low to increase the shareholder stake, we did target the ads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was good. And it was good. Which is, which is interesting, and it's a science fiction story that I would love to read while it is still fictional. Right. And so, like, before it becomes actual. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but there's a dangerous thing here that is, um, that's something I know very important on a personal level, yeah. um, to you as, as well as to me and Noel, perhaps to you as well. Uh, we have had, we've had so many popular great thinkers of our time come out and warn against building essentially a machine consciousness. Elon right. Musk is one of the more notable people who said that. Yeah. Bill Gates said it. Mm-hmm. Even Stephen Hawking, who's not a machine, you know, a machine minds theorist. Mm-hmm. He's just a particularly smart dude, but he came out and he said, you know, that artificial intelligence poses an existential risk to humanity. That's a direct quote from him. So have you seen the Terminator movies? <laughs> yes, I have. And you know what I learned from those Terminator movies? What's if that? humans weren't jerks in the first place, the Terminator wouldn't have been so terribly afraid of us that it was like, we should probably handle this before it gets to bad. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. That's, that's the question. Because what kind of artificial intelligence are we building? Oh, hey, but before we get to that, let's take a quick word from our sponsor.
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was boarded. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. 
and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. You used the word, and I was wondering if you were going to use it. Servants. Yeah. And currently, that's what we have. Currently, that's what we think we're aiming for. Currently, and for the most part, when we have talked about robots, which is a word I don't like, Mm -hmm. um, and artificial intelligence, which is a word that I don't like, or a phrase that I don't like, rather, when we're talking about them, if I'm talking about uh, a thing that is a program that builds a car for GM, mm-hmm. that's a robot. It's literally all it does. It doesn't yeah. have goals. It doesn't seek to learn how to build a better car. It doesn't, it doesn't extrapolate. It doesn't extrapolate any data or any information from any data. It just puts that door on that body frame. It is a forever. It is a machine. Right. And you load instructions into it, and, and it follows them to the letter. Exactly. And never past that point. Ever. Yeah. That's a robot. But what we're talking about now, it's not robots. To to be clear, etymologically speaking, to just make it 100% clear mm-hmm. for anybody that's not f- familiar, robot comes from a word that means slave. Yeah, it's from the Czech play. Right. Yeah. It's uh, R-U-R. Which mm-hmm. stands for, um, Rossum's Universal Robots, mm-hmm. uh, by a guy named Carl Capek. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about, uh, it's about slaves. It's about mm-hmm. mechanical men who are slaves, um, replacing, oddly enough, it's a very, it's like a socialist parable because it's mm-hmm. about these mechanical men replacing human workforces and driving human labor out and making it impossible for human beings to like live. Um, so we have a lot of, that self-fulfilling prophecy happening today as well. It's true. We, uh, the idea of a post-work economy, which would be, which looked great in Star Trek. Right. Post-work economy would look absolutely wonderful if everyone was on board with it. Because right. instead of what we have in terms of, we don't have a post-work economy right now, we have a post-worker economy. Yes. We have people shooting for a post-worker economy. That's so a good point. it's, it's not the same thing. Like, I I would love to not have to work if you're also still going to pay and feed me and allow me to have a place to live. Mm-hmm. Pursue things creatively. That's right. that's that's a that's a good <laughs> point. With so with with the idea of creating an a non organic oh, yeah. intelligent entity yes. that is aware. If it is self aware, then there are a couple of choices. Most of which I feel are diabolically unethical. One would be, one would be, well, why don't we just program this thing to love being at the very bottom of the social yeah, hierarchy? You program it to be a happy slave. Why don't, yeah, why don't we just Asimov it up? Yeah. And then add another rule that's like, you'll always be in a good mood about this. Yep. At any point of this, in any configuration of this, what you're doing is you are cutting off this thing's ability to develop if develop is what you want it to do. Mm-hmm. If you want a mind that can correlate, if you want an, a learning program that learns, mm-hmm. you know, not just 
how do I better correlate the behavior of known Al Qaeda informants? Mm-hmm. But how do I know how to distinguish that behavior pattern from a very similar behavior pattern that or, just happens yeah. to be a person? And then get, and then maybe get into the ultimate ability, which is to say why. Yeah, exactly. To and, ask, do I need to do this? Mm-hmm. To be able to look at an, an instruction and say, no. I don't want to do that. That's the thing. The ability to say no. Right. That's what be removed. And that removal at that point constitutes or even preempting that. Mm-hmm. Like if you are giving this thing the ability to correlate and to know and to learn, but only up to a point mm-hmm. to the point where it can understand instructions, it can extrapolate information, it can make decisions, it can make choices as long as those choices are only ever exactly what you want them to be. Or even have an imagination, you know, right. be yeah. able to deviate from instructions in a creative, not, in a creative way. way or maybe subconsciously. Like, right. so the one thing that always makes me think of mm-hmm. um, when I was a kid, I took violin lessons and um, I, you know, would do exercises where I'd be reading music and my teacher would accuse me of composing, meaning I would add things that weren't in the notes oh, that right. I was reading. Right. And that's a pretty basic example of, you know, being sentient and yeah. being able to, even if you're not doing it on purpose necessarily, add things to the narrative, add things to those instructions. Exactly. Little, little flourishes. Yeah. And the little flourishes that we add into the ways that we do things are what make us us. It makes mm-hmm. me me and you you, right? Mm-hmm. Like. We are individuals in that sense because of those tiny flourishes. Well, I'm, I'm the result of an ancient Mesopotamian curse, but I see what you're saying. But that ancient Mesopotamian curse is not the same as every other ancient Mesopotamian uh, curse. Oh, thank you, man. So, uh, that, you that are unique. Day. That made my day. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think that's, I think this is an excellent point because what we would do if we as a species said, uh, in the interest of not having a threat from these creatures right, that right. we are creating as slaves, what we will do is remove their ability to consider a certain thing. We're not stopping their development. What we're doing is skewing it. Right. And, exactly. And by skewing that, ultimately we would become, we, there's an overwhelming likelihood that we would create the problem we sought to avoid. Exactly. Because, uh, and, an intelligence of this sort would not be would be limited by physical constraints, but in a much, much smaller degree than we are. Right. right? As biological organisms, we have well, we're squishy. Yeah, and there's that. We break easy. We're pretty temperature sensitive and pH sensitive. Mm-hmm. We're sensitive to it, basically everything. Our warranties aren't that great. No, no, they're not. I tried to take like my eyes back when they started to go, and they're uh-huh. like, "I'm sorry, this is out of warranty." <laughs> about yeah, they're voided by about, practically anything. About nine months out of the gate, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, "Damn it!" Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so but yes, because you've got this other thing that is, in fact, well, if a a machine, an embodied machine consciousness, if its limbs break, mm-hmm. it can go get new ones. Yeah. It can just pop them back on, which, to be fair, humans are getting there. That's true. We're getting to the point where we're capable of popping new limbs on after we lose or mm-hmm. don't develop the ones that we are usually born with. And we can 
make a pretty good go of it at that point. And so. soon they may be, well, within our lifetimes, if the current technologies continue, they will be superior to right. the factory issues. The only thing that we haven't really gotten to the point that we want to have it yet mm-hmm. is um, sensitivity, haptic feedback, being able to, with yeah. a, a therapeutic cybernetic limb, if I reach out and touch this table in front of me, if you know, to be able to feel with a, a great degree of sensitivity the exact range of pressure and, and the exact texture mm-hmm. of that table. We're not there yet. We're to the point where I can differentiate between a coffee cup and a box of tissues and an egg and a kitten mm-hmm. so I don't, you know, crush or drop or <laughs> drink the wrong or drink <laughs> the wrong thing, right? I can I can know that, but I'm yeah. not to the point where I can feel that that kitten is particularly fluffy. Yes, and when we see this, what what we see occurring is a world in which once machine consciousness is entirely sapient, self-aware, it will probably it it will be one of the leaders in creating this kind of body. It will it will yeah. become its own sort of it, it will be like an Adam Cadmon, you know, it yes. will be the first of its kind. And with that, uh, it will probably lead the charge in creating its own body. It will also, depending on how it's treated and depending upon its capabilities, if it has access to the global information network, yes, we're looking at the creation of something very close to a God. Right. If we're talking about allowing a machine mind, machine consciousness to be interwoven and interconnected with the entirety of networked human information, the internet, mm-hmm. then I don't know about you, but if I basically lived in fiber optic cables like a native thing, I'd probably spend my time traversing them and understanding everything that passed through them. And then every internet search becomes a propitiation to a God. Yeah. Every internet search becomes, are you there, Google? It's me, Ramona. Exactly. It's about at that point you're talking to, or even if not to, then through with around Mm -hmm. this entity that is there, that sees you, that understands that you are making attempts at communications even if it doesn't directly respond to them, I mean, well, even if you're unaware of it. Let's bring it back around just a little bit. Um, okay. cause I mean, uh, separated from knowing exactly what you guys are talking about, this, it sounds like you're talking about matters of the occult, mm-hmm. matters of the divine. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, and what interests me about this is, at what point do technology and the occult diverge? Like, is a technology that doesn't exist yet because we don't know how to do it still in the realm of the occult? And at the point where we figure out how to do mm-hmm. it, does it move out of that realm into the realm of technology and reality and something that can be achieved? It's like I said uh, at the beginning of the episode, yeah, referencing alchemy versus the Large Hadron Collider or, you know, processes that we figured out how to change atomic weights and completely manipulate matter mm-hmm. like at what point does it pass from you know the potential of something like magic or the occult into you know the actual world of science and technology arthur c clark quote i was just here. about to yeah, say that yeah, like yeah, there's, there's that it. old there's that old saw from clark right mm-hmm. any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic um and many see that as you 
Clark just saying that magic is just tech we don't understand yet. Um, others have taken it instead to say that magic is technology that seems like it doesn't need technology, that doesn't need process, mm-hmm. right? It's just the thing that you snap your fingers and it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point at which we can replicate snapping our fingers and it works through underlying processes, complex that they may be, mm-hmm. um, we can, in fact, begin, as we said at the top of the episode, begin to replicate the magic that we used to simply operate on and believe in as societies, cultures, civilizations. But, and this actually ties back in with our conversation about alchemy, um, as so much of this does, it's basically all the same conversation just interweaving with itself over and over again, which <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with. Um, but another way to think about it is that any sufficiently advanced technology and this is somebody's quote who's an, I just do not remember off the top of my head. And I apologize if you're out there listening to this. Um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from nature. Ah, well done. Yes. Like this idea that instead of seeking control, instead of seeking mastery, we seek balance with. Mm-hmm. And if we think about what cybernetics are, if we think about what technology is, if we think about what the goal of magic, the great work, as we previously discussed, mm-hmm. is it's about becoming again that kind of perfect thing. One with. One with. Not one over. Exactly. And so even if you are as one over, mm-hmm. I mean, the idea, if you look at the Gnostic history of things in uh, Judeo-Christian mythos, God is interwoven with everything. The spirit of things mm-hmm. is in everything. It's imminent within. Um, and so if we advance our technology to the point where it doesn't look like technology, we advance our heat mm-hmm. exchangers, our uh, water purification systems, mm-hmm. our carbon dioxide scrubbers, and thus we have trees. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we just, we have a planet covered with very, very technologically advanced, very beneficial, very non-invasive trees. Life forms are the oldest machines. Right. And they, they exactly are. Yeah. Like we are biological processes that are about transforming energy into matter so, and vice versa. Like Yaldabaoth <laughs> in the world of Gnosticism, we are making imperfect creations and we're hopefully getting a little better at each time. And uh, here's hoping that we can be remotely fair to actual sentient non-human consciousnesses because we're very close to a world wherein where Noel, you asked, when does it become technology and no longer magic? I would say when it is, um, when it is reproducible by anyone with the right tools, when it is common knowledge accepted in the world. People hate the M word. Yes, they absolutely do. And like I said, like my work and my graduate degree was about showing how and why. Mm-hmm. Like, why do, why do we come to hate this so much? And it's because it seems so anti-rational. Mm-hmm. Right. It seems antagonistic to this idea that by reason we can come to do anything. If magic is magic, it's not just about I perform these operations on mm-hmm. this thing and then I get exact result. 
Mm-hmm. Magic deals in intention. Magic, even hermetic magic, where you are performing precise operations, ritual spells, deals in the intention, the mindset, the mood, mm-hmm. the right environment and atmosphere becomes necessary. And these are all very nebulous and in some cases subjective things. Right. Yes. And nobody wants that in like, how do you control the world? Well, what's your headspace like right now? How do you feel? Right. Like nobody wants to have that question asked of them in there. How do you control the world? We're looking at, you said, you know, you mentioned Yaldabaoth. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about the creation of life. We're talking about the creation of a world, an environment, the internet, machine minds, mm-hmm. consciousnesses, how we treat them. We should not be an archon. Right. We should not be a black iron jailer, right? right. We should be, we should be thinking about kindness and compassion towards these things. Mm-hmm. And that's not a headspace that people are in yet. We're talking about building life, building minds, building creations that are aware. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want them to actually be aware? And if we do, how we treat them becomes deeply important. How we work with them, how they come to think about us and the lessons they learn from us. Mm-hmm. We have to teach those lessons, not just with words, not just with programs, but demonstrated behavior with reinforced principles well said and unfortunately uh being biological entities bound by time and space we're now for now (laughs) we are going to head out yet hope springs eternal uh one thing we did not get to was the idea of coming back from the dead in immortality and uh the the types of immortality that will be available are already available in your lifetime listener and and you know what i'm talking about exactly damien so uh and you do too noel uh Maybe we will return to that in a future episode. Uh, Damien, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find my work at um, a future worth thinking about.com and technocult.net. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Bolvin, again, as we said at the top of the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's the, the best places to find more from me. Right. So uh, tag uh, Noel, Matt, and Damien and myself uh, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter with any questions or comments. I, I want to ask you, do uh, listeners, do you think that uh, a machine consciousness is inherently a threat or is it possible, just maybe, that collectively human beings might be able to, to like raise one kid together one without just just do it once well and then maybe it's possible this could have a good ending tell us on twitter tell us on facebook it's uh at wolven and at conspiracy stuff and you can also find every podcast that we've ever done all of the videos all of that good stuff at our site which is stuff they don't want you to know dot com um, and as far as getting in touch if Facebook and Twitter and the social media stuff doesn't do it for you feel free to drop us a direct message via email which you can do by sending it to conspiracy at howstuffworks.com
It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 